0: Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Hello everybody, welcome to today's episode of Own the Microphone, Bridget McGowan here and today I have with me Becky Perros. Becky, welcome to the show. Hi Bridget, thank you very much for having me. Oh, It's fantastic to have yeah. you here today. So my first question for you is, I want you to tell us a story. Tell us about a time when you made a presentation and it, um, well no, just tell us the story of how you became addicted to public speaking that's what we're going to do because you you told me that you have this addiction to public speaking how did that happen
1: Okay, so prior to 2005, I'd done public speaking, but it was kind of, you know, I'd been thrown in and everyone's like, oh, you're so confident, you get up there and do it. And I had to, I had a fear of it, as most people do. So prior to that, I'd gone and done a, a presentation course as part of my coaching and master coaching. I do a performance presentation. You kind of learn how to develop this persona and get on stage, and it kind of addresses a lot of the fears. And I had a lot of fun with that, but I still hadn't really translated it into you know proper experience and kind of really put myself out there anyway I was at work this day and um I'll never forget it my boss has come up and is like hey we have to do these toolbox talks which you know is a safety protocol that they were just about they were, just, they were implementing um it's like you're really popular you're going to be the first one today to kick it off have a presentation ready at two o'clock this afternoon uh, you know and kind of oh okay sure I'll I'll, I'll drop everything I'll focus on that you know it was just one of those like uh what um you know there's moments where you you know yeah you're checking with your boss like are you are you serious oh apparently he was so I kind of had a bit of a meltdown you know there were 650 people in the building that I was going to have to present to. I had four hours to come up with a topic. Oh, and then he kind of went, oh, I know everyone hates using the software program we've got. You should teach them and tell them how to use it and tell them they have to. Exactly. Your face is kind of saying it all. And I know our listeners can't hear it, but I'm sure their faces are reflecting. It It's kind of that whole, what the heck did what, huh? You want me to how, um, So fortunately I had this wonderful team with me um, and a a learning development officer. So she did up this this PowerPoint and we kind of co-opted this toolbox theme into Tiara time. So I had a nickname. I was in charge of the quality process. I was the quality queen. My boss bought me a tiara, which I wore on funny occasions and stuff. So we kind of co-opted it. We made it Tiara time. And Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy had just come out in 2005. So it was kind of the popular movie of the day. And we were both sci-fi nerds. So she kind of did up this Hitchhiker's Guide to, I think it was Project Wise was what the the platform was called. So she did this whole PowerPoint around this with lots of humour and everything. And I was like, you know, this I can deliver, this I can have fun with. However, because I still had not really, you know, stepped into that yes power, power you know public speaking kind of thing it was kind of thrown at me, all, all the stuff thrown at me last minute still not believing in myself even though i'd done all the training and you know so i kind of did the whole like i'm gonna go be sick all of the stuff anyway i got to got to two o'clock got there 300 so we did two floors two different times so it was about 300 people each audience and i know all these people i talked to them i've had drinks with them i know their kids names and I'm just, oh, oh, you know, sweating and kind of having that panic attack. Um, I got up and delivered the talk and they were laughing. And at the end of it, I, I got applause. And it was spontaneous applause. No one, you know, I didn't ask for it. It kind of toolbox talks in safety are not designed to achieve applause. And they all, like, applaud it, um, which... There's nothing like the feeling of 300-odd men and, you know, 50-odd women spontaneously applauding you to really instantly develop an addiction to what you've just done. So that kind of, I was like, oh, this is why people do public speaking. This is powerful. This is exciting. This is, you know, I was like, yeah, I could ride this. Keep it up. I want more claps. Um, and then to top it off, my boss, who kind of dumped me in this whole thing and probably you know, let's put this girl in a place a bit cocky, was jealous. So he came up to me, and was like, I've never seen anyone get applause in a toolbox. And it was almost like, how dare you? And how did you do that? And it's not fair. And I was like, oh, that's even better. Like I can, I could ride this wave. Um yeah, so that's that's pretty much how I kind of stepped into my my power and my love of public speaking and really kind of used that humor continuously from then on because you know I kind of really felt like that that was a part of the persona that I brought to it
0: so it sounds like humor was your secret sauce right it, or what so, would you say yeah, yeah okay it's so humor, it, a little, humor little bit
1: of sarcasm a your- little bit of not taking yeah. it too seriously making it a bit lighthearted. you know a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down like I was telling them stuff they didn't want to hear and they didn't want to know and they didn't want to do But they applauded it, you know, it's just, you know, a little bit of honey, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of humor, all of that just makes a, you know, a very untasty message, a little bit more edible.
0: So you've seen speakers who don't necessarily use humor, but they're effective. You would listen to them again. Now for our listeners tuning in, there may be some who say, I am not funny. I do not have a couple bone in my body. How do they find your, their secret sauce? I mean, think about how you found your secret sauce, whether it was the tiara, whether it was, I don't know. How does somebody find their secret sauce for hooking the audience and having these hundreds of folks applauding them? Yeah.
1: It's it's a good question and it's it's actually fairly simple. Um if you want to get into public speaking what we need to do is determine what your personality wants to be you know i am naturally funny i have a bit of dark humor about me i've worked in 30 years in the construction industry which might explain to people sort of where where that talk came from and all that sort of thing probably should have led with that Um, but anyway so you know it's about finding the three key things that work for you so humor is one of them you know bold statements and, you know, probably a bit sort of sassy, sarcastic. They're kind of, that's kind of my stage persona. And I'm pretty much like that no matter what environment. You know, I tone it back. It's a little bit corporate. But, you know, I still want people to kind of have a little bit of a smirk and kind of, you know, laugh a little bit and feel a little less confronted because generally my messages are quite challenging in, the, in that regard in terms of, you know, whether it's leadership or resilience or confidence, there's, there's always an element of, you know, stepping up and, and a call to action in my, in my presentations. So, but that's me. And I've determined that persona and it very much reflects my authenticity and my message and my passion and my actual personality. So I think for people who are looking, it's about picking about three key things, just like I listed. Uh, uh, what you want to present and the persona you want to be out there you know and some people want to be the authority um you know the authority of course doesn't use humor because you know they're, they're they're imparting powerful information that they want people to absorb and you know if you're going to be an authority sometimes humor can take away from that um So it's kind of and ask people. And, you know, another really great way of kind of finding out what the three key traits you could be leveraging on stage is ask your close friends when they think of you. And when they think of the way you talk to them and, and relay information, what three things come to mind? You know, generally I like to kind of say, like, throw confident in there. Everyone should want to be a confident speaker. That should be one of the key things. You know, we all know those speakers that get up there and kind of just really talk really quietly into the microphone and don't really take a pause. And, you know, they kind of, oh, you feel, you really feel for them, but you're not listening to their message. And then you've got the kind of boomers who are up there and, like, you know, they're, they're, they're yeah, pounding the pulpit and kind of expounding <laughs> their message. And you're kind of too overwhelmed by the, by the sheer force of them, again, to absorb their message. So it's about practising where in that sort of two extremes you fit and what characteristics you bring to that sort of stage persona and just getting really comfortable with those three things and kind of reminding yourself that's the, that's the three things. There's only three things you need to be on stage. And if one of them is confident then there's only two more things you kind of need to bring to that stage present. So breaking it down like that can make it a lot less fearful and a lot easier to kind of approach. If you're looking to getting into presentation and kind of how do I take that first step?
0: Well, you've taught us an incredible lesson where it it starts with confidence. That's my way there. It starts with confidence and then asking those to you, what, Do I personify, essentially? What are two words, three words you would use to describe me? And then that is how you kind of find your persona for the stage. So that was a fantastic lesson that you taught us, Becky. What is one of the most important lessons you teach your audiences when you make presentations?
1: Oh, just one Oh, okay I have to narrow that down too um, <laughs> Oh, god! It, it, it depends I do a lot of speaking in like the corporate arena in construction and sort of you know very very sort of formal I suppose and, and and work focused and then I do a lot of work in sort of women's conferences and empowerment conferences but I think overall the one thing I teach is um you know leadership and that's, you know, leadership in work, leadership in life, leadership in career, person, um, personal leadership. And leadership is not like, oh, look, I'm holding a flag. Everyone follow me. Go this way. Do this thing. Leadership, you know, in terms of how I lead my own life and how I am authentic, how I show up, how I walk the talk that I present, how I am who I show that I am, Um you know, that that kind of leadership, I think, is a message that pretty much always comes through. And if I'm on stage and I'm talking about like safety or, you know, procedural information, I'm still leading with that and I'm still demonstrating leadership, I would guess, and very clearly in, the, in a lot of the women's talks I do, um, because women aren't generally um, given the confidence to be leaders and claim leadership. It's something they either, you know, sort of have a pathway or they feel there's a progression to. Um you know, they're not generally given that leadership title as a, as a young woman or, or growing into, you know, their early career. Um, and I think that's something that is a, is a false understanding of what leadership is. You know, we all, we've all seen the, the, the young lady or the young man in, in the school circles who's the leader and everyone naturally is attracted to and wants to be a part of. Um, but we don't necessarily translate that into a skill that that young lady can understand is, is valuable in her future.
0: Have you ever had a difficult audience member? And if you have, yeah, have you? Um,
1: I have. I'm just kind of trying to think of one that might be printable. Um, you know, in construction, they give you feedback quite easily, but they also give it in terms that are very, shall I call it, very construction and Australian-oriented, which I don't know if you know in the US what that means, but there's a lot of cussing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, have I ever had a difficult audience look I've not really apart from you know on in work and sort of environments where they're like oh what would a you know bloody girl know and you can't tell me anything I haven't learned in 30 years and um yeah that's probably the most difficult customer or client or audience member I've really had and yeah unfortunately for them they single themselves out you know, I tend to, and that's where my humour and kind of sarcasm really comes to the fore. Um, uh, this is some wonderful saying from Muhammad Ali, and I visited Kentucky and seen the home of his place, which is fantastic. And he, he once said something very similar to, show me a man who has done the same thing for 30 years, and I'll show you a man who hasn't learnt anything in his lifetime, it's that's yeah it's a really powerful phrase and of course Muhammad Ali is like you know it's a very it's a very he's a very masculine icon in terms of his achievements in boxing um so you know these guys who kind of like oh I've been doing this for 30 years girly you can't teach me anything I generally rip that one straight out I'm like you know who Muhammad Ali is oh yeah yeah he's a good bloke yeah he wouldn't put up with your crap either I'm like well guess what he said um you know, and a bit of a smile on my face, but that's where I talk about sort of being challenging and demonstrating leadership is, you know, I don't put up with that. If I'm on the stage, it's mine. Um, and when it comes to someone challenging and kind of claiming that they've got, look, and they might. Um, and, I, and I've often said that to them too. I said, you might have more knowledge in 30 years, um, but who are you to say that I can't show you something new? And if you're that closed-minded, how are you learning? because 30 years ago there were no such thing as mobile phones and yet you have one on your hand so that shows me that you are capable of learning and changing behaviors so I'm going to hold you to that you know there's a couple of different ways I can kind of throw that challenge depending on the the manner in which they assert themselves in my stage presence
0: (laughs) well and it's it's definitely about confidence the fact that it took you quite some time to sit and say huh I don't know that I've had a difficult audience member. I mean, if I did, it was this one person who just expressed skepticism about what I could teach him or whether I could teach him anything. That goes to show how showing up with confidence And speaking with confidence, like you said, finding that middle ground where you don't sound like this little timid mouse on a microphone, but then you're not this big boisterous voice that just really tunes out everything and everybody, right? But you find that right voice and that right body posture that communicates to everyone that this is your ship and you are the one steering it that can keep some of the difficult members at bay. You actually reminded me of a job that I used to have. I used to work for an ed tech company and I would travel the country. Initially, I just would travel 13 states out on the West coast of the, of the States. But, uh, I got to the point where I was going beyond those boundaries and I will do workshops with professors and Educators at colleges and universities. And I eventually tell people when they would ask, well, what do you do? The easiest way to explain it was, I teach professors how to teach. And so I'm showing up to do these workshops on, how do you engage the millennial learner? Or how do you create an engaging classroom with three different generations in the room? Because I started working for that company back in 2009 when we were experiencing an economic downturn. So it was mm-hmm. nothing to see an 18-year-old a 30 something year old and a 50 something year old all in the same classroom, the 30 something and the 50 something trying to reinvent him or herself as a result of having lost a job due to the crazy crash that we had. Mm -hmm. So now as a professor, you were used to 18, 20 year olds in the classroom. Now you've got possibly two or three different generations in the classroom. It it was tough enough Yes, it was tough mm-hmm. enough, just you as a professor trying to bridge that generational divide with a, a 21-year-old. Now you've got, this is compounded. So anyway, I even had a professor one time say something to the effect of, I have food in my refrigerator that's older than you. What in the world <laughs> is it that you're going to teach <laughs> So you reminded me of that, right? I'm going to use animal? that one thing next time. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. So I remember it was out in California one time and he was was just as deadpan as they come. And it was hilarious at the moment. And I said, listen, give me 10 minutes, okay? 15 max. I think it was maybe a three hour workshop. Mm -hmm. 10 minutes, 15 minutes max. If I haven't done something that makes you say, hmm, I might could use that. Hmm, this might be worth my while. I won't be one bit annoyed, uh, offended or upset. If you pack up and walk out of here, he stayed, stayed the whole time, hung out, chatted with me afterwards, but it was the confidence with me starting my presentation in a way that clarified for them. This is how our time is going to be spent, and this is what you'll know or be able Mm -hmm. to do by the end of this presentation, the fact that you're here. Wanting to learn some new strategies for engaging your students speaks volumes. So giving a little kudos and a little bit of uplifting doesn't hurt either starting out. But being very clear, hey, this is what we're going to cover. This is what you're going to know or be able to do uh, by the time we're with this session it lets them know it sets them up for success and it lets them know how their time is mm. going to be spent. Right. And it's and it's about establishing
1: that authority. Like my reaction to the the comment about food, I, I would have gone with a humorous route. I would have gone, well, like that food, I have a great deal of culture and some I've experienced some extreme growth. Um, you know, and what it what it does, both responses and no doubt there's more responses out there and other people will come up with their own, but they establish authority they kind of go, well, that's your problem. You can just hold on to that because I know my stuff and I know what value I'm going to add. Um, and that probably leads me to maybe I think we've got time for one final tip is that one of the most powerful things I was ever told is if you have the stage, you have the authority already People are there to see you, to listen to what you have to say by sheer fact that you have that position on the stage, at the podium, with the mic, whatever surrounding it is. You already have the authority invested in you. You just need to maintain it. So a lot of people get on stage and they immediately want to try and address that authority and they want to try and justify why they're there. Skip all that. You've already got all that in the bag, but simply by standing in front of your audience. And when I kind of really got that and understood that, I was like, "Ah!" Oh, because it's so much easier to maintain a position than it is to gain that position in the first place.
0: Yes, 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 yes. Everybody, Becky has established her authority here today, no doubt about it, but I've got to tell you a little bit more about her. As you heard, uh, Becky Perose has 30 years of experience in construction, and she's worked on some of the most demanding projects in Australia. Through childhood trauma, chronic disease, and the vast challenges of her career, Becky has never accepted anything less than surpassing her goals, and she's going to challenge you to do the same. Becky provides coaching and mentoring and is a published author as well as an accomplished presenter. She's the winner of many awards, including one recently for International Women's Day. Was it 2020 or 2021?
1: 2020, before the world kind of stopped for a while. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, you know, had a little something happen, a little hiccup <laughs> that kind of put things on pause for us. So, congratulations. Uh, on that award and and as you heard she became addicted to public speaking when she received that spontaneous applause from over 300 men and more uh, more than 300 men in one day so she has she she's got it Becky's got it going on Becky's got it going on so Becky in our minutes remaining what does the audience know That maybe they've not considered before when it comes to making sure that they they're recognizing that the stage is yours, that the stage, the the stage belongs to them, they don't have to, I don't know, they, they don't have to. Feel like they've got to claim ownership to it because it's already theirs by mere virtue of the fact that they are on the program, that they are listed on the agenda as the next speaker. Like, what else do they need to know to ensure that they're always getting up there and they're owning it? People want
1: you to succeed. Very rarely do people go and listen to a speaker hoping to see them trip over, fall on their face stutter their words, forget their speech, or any of the horror stories we tell ourselves about public speaking and what could happen. People don't turn up, generally speaking. You've got 50 people in an audience. Maybe one person out of that is in a really crappy mood that day and wants everyone to fail because, you know, they're just hating on the world. That's 49 people still invested in your success and you need to focus on the 49, not the one. So I think that's probably... You know, walk in confident, know that you already have the authority and just maintain it, and then focus on the people who want you to succeed, which is the majority of your audience, if not all of your audience. Like I said, I've never met anyone who's, you know, sitting in the back row, you know, back row going, fall on your face, come on. As
0: a, you know, we're not wanting that for you. Um, And and that one person, that one person, Becky, who is in the audience, that person is not the person to whom you are speaking. That person is not who's going to receive your message and that is okay be okay with that because there are some folks and i i've said this a million times there are some folks who frown at puppies rainbows and flowers <laughs> yes yeah, okay they probably have no friends they're Becky. They're the people who have the LinkedIn profiles with two connections, right? Stuff. Like so. <laughs> yep, yeah, absolutely. And
1: you know, that's, that's particularly relevant when you put your focus. So putting your focus, they normally say like second or third row because when you look in that space, you can kind of encompass almost 90% of your audience and you do want to try and make contact with various people as you're speaking and, and look around and make sure your entire audience feels involved. But you know what? Avoid looking at that cranky person. Once they've identified themselves as the one cranky person or the two cranky people, don't go back there because it's not your job to change their mind in that, in that situation. Your job is to deliver the message to the people who want it. And I think that's a challenge that people kind of forget, you know, it's like, Oh, I've got to convert that one person. No, you don't. You need to maintain the connection with the 49 other people. If you have 50 people in your audience, um, now I was going to say something else, and I've kind of I've forgotten. So anyway, it's, it'll either come back to me, or you'll have to get me again back on the show, and we'll do part two.
0: But uh, um, yeah, at the, at I like end, that trick. I like that trick. <laughs> yeah, see,
1: <laughs> you've got to hook your audience. Um, I think, and I think that's you know, there's probably you know, the final. That's all getting up to the stage and getting on the stage and and getting getting there. When you're talking now, you're opening. Now you're opening. Have your conclusion and let the bit in the middle, obviously you don't do your practice and all that sort of stuff, but let the, let the the bit in the middle of your presentation have a bit more flow and a bit more spontaneity about it. Try and just kind of go, I know my stuff. Here's my A, here's my Z. I know how to get to that in the space that I've been allocated. Kind of take the pressure off yourself from that kind of, you know, eidetic photographic memory of memorizing every single word and trying to get out every single word in order as you wrote it and as you practice. Take the pressure off yourself, and kind of go. Here's my here's my opening. Here's my ending. Here's what I want in the middle. And allow yourself to be the authority and and knowledgeable enough, and and um, communicate appropriately that you're going to get all the things out that you need to. And if you don't, that's where questions come in handy. If you skip a bit, someone in your audience will find it. Trust me, Um, they'll put their hand up and go, "Hey, you said this and then you jumped here. What's the bit in the middle?" Thanks for bringing that up. And that's actually, there we go. And then just to conclude at the ending, questions are great. And if they challenge you, use that as a way to demonstrate your knowledge and understand that they're asking for clarity, not to prove that you're an idiot. So, again, you know, some people get really confronted by questions. Oh, you said this and, you know, what do you mean? They're not but people ask questions in the audience they come across as you know quite confronting but they want to be heard you've got to remember that you're one person with a microphone they're 50 people who want to get attention from you um so no matter the tone see it as someone's asking for more knowledge they're asking you to elaborate they're asking you to be more of an authority and demonstrate how much more you know so see it as a positive thing and be really engaging um someone kind of trips you up oh I don't think that's correct you can go that's fantastic we should talk about that after um why don't you come and meet me we can have a discussion about it you know you don't actually have to answer challenges you can kind of put them off to one side you can address them personally and you use that as a you know I'm sure there's other people who have um questions focused on the positive let's keep it at that and why don't you come and talk to me afterwards and we can address what you think I did wrong takes away their power puts the focus back on you as the authority and allows other people their space and again that person might be resentful but the other 49 people in your audience be like oh thank god we didn't have to listen to that
0: yeah i i love the the recommendations that you make for answering questions and the fact that we need to do a little bit of a paradigm shift when it comes to answering questions it's not that people are wanting to put you on the spot or question question your intelligence or call into doubt the content that you share, look at it from the perspective of "Hmm, this person may actually be curious. This person may actually want to know more, wants to extend the conversation. But let's say you do get a tough question. Here is my seven step approach. And I promise to make it as succinct as possible. I know you're thinking (laughs) seven steps. Are you kidding me? But here's the seven step approach I like to recommend when it comes to handling the toughest or the easiest of questions like a pro first off anticipate that there will be questions even the horrible ones that you hate and prepare by making three lists the first list should contain the questions to which you know the answers without a doubt and your content should kind of cover those questions Mm -hmm. and then make sure you write down those questions as well as the answers the second list includes questions to which you do not know the answers and then go looking for the answers contact colleagues do some research and then your third list has the questions you dread okay (laughs) it has those and that way after you since you've made this list if you see one of those questions that comes up that you dread you'll dread it less when you hear it voiced by someone and there's absolutely nothing wrong with saying Let's say you don't have the time to go research it. Nothing wrong with saying "great question." Let's do. Let me do some research, and I'll get back with you. The second step is make sure you actually hear the question. Oftentimes, yes. someone will ask, and we start the answer in our head before they finish it, and then the answer and the question don't match once the person completes the query. So. <laughs> Very true. Avoid yep. interrupting. Yes. Avoid cutting off the questioner because this benefits both you and the questioner because you're showing respect by giving that person time to ask the question and by making sure you hear the question correctly and can give an appropriate answer. Number three, yep. when you do answer, make it concise, make it direct. Okay. And make sure that that, that answer is directed to the entire group not just the person who asked Hmm. the question.
1: Very good point. Absolutely. Yes. Give give the whole audience your response. Yes.
0: Yes. This is part of the content. This is part of the learning experience. And uh, connected to that is number four, repeat the question. So the entire audience hears the question. So when you're offering that answer, well, first repeat the question. So everybody knows what is this the answer to? Because if you don't do that, you can run the risk of everybody trying to figure out what was asked. Then they're mm-hmm. engaging in sidebar conversations, trying to figure it out. That's not, disruptive. Yep. You're know, not getting right. the answer that you're giving. Yeah. The missing information. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Or we've seen this, Becky, where someone will ask a question and then the speaker will say, did everybody hear that? And then this launch into answering the question. Without confirming that everyone did indeed hear the question, don't even assume, don't even go out on a limb. Either repeat the question or hand a microphone to that person so he or she can repeat it, right? Yeah. Number five, follow up with Did that answer your question? Yeah. It shows that you care, that you have an actual interest in helping the questioner get the answers to that question. Number six, and we talked about this, you do not have to answer every question right there Mm, at that moment such
1: an important thing to realize you don't have to and there's lots of ways of giving that response you know you know what i actually have that information but that wasn't the subject of this speech this this presentation perhaps you can get me back if they're an authority perhaps you can get me back just like i did that's one of the tricks or um why don't you email me and i can get you some information over there or i'm delivering the talk that actually will cover this at this point like it's a it's it's actually a really good marketing tool to kind of go I'm not talking about that here but I am here 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 and here look me up connect with me
0: yeah oh, you know build the relationship it's just it's it's a perfect marketing opportunity it's it it, it really really is and i want people to get a, a, away from feeling afraid or embarrassed by not knowing the answer to a question one i want you to start developing a response that is not I don't know, because we, we feel like (laughs) saying, I don't know is, it takes away from sweetness. the authority.
1: Yeah, it takes away from the authority we think we've established or, or you know, we know we've established so we think it reduces it.
0: Re- yes, yeah. we think that it reduces our sense of authority. And so, I get it. And that's why we make a plan. Instead of saying I don't know, say that's a fantastic question. Let me do a little bit of research and get back with you. Like I I should just record that and and, and hit play because yeah. I <laughs> i say it so often but whatever your response is think about your style becky and i were talking about personas and and presentation personalities and such earlier figure out your style figure out the 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 type of message or the blurb that you would say that's what bridget mm. would say mm. and and something else is what becky would say figure out what sounds like your voice and use that come up with something that's Other than I don't know. And it's okay to not have the answer to every question right at the drop of a dime. Uh, It's, it's quite okay uh you yes. can even say okay. you know that's going to take more time to explain or it's going to require pretty detailed explanation and I want to be respectful of our time here and and want to make sure that we end on time so let's you and I talk later or if it, it's yep. a question oh go ahead what was that Becky
1: oh I've got I've got a really good example to kind of throw in here before you get to point number seven and you know in a professional environment because that's a horror isn't it when we get it's it's if we're doing this voluntarily or or in kind of some inspo it's not so bad but in a professional environment when someone challenges you that's where you're like oh my god I could lose my job tomorrow because I don't know the answer and so I was delivering this talk on you know paperless concepts and paperless systems and how we can move away from paper better for the environment blah 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 and you know this dear dear old fellow one of those I've been doing this for 50 years kind of blokes and he's like well and that that was his problem and I could see it quite easily you know he's like well you know in 10-20 years you're talking about this all the people who have jobs that relate around that and people like me whose knowledge is you know very much paper-based in the past what are we going to do what are the jobs out there for us like I have the answer to that question you know just generally speaking But also, you know, in terms of like the way technology is advancing, we have no idea what we're going to be doing 10, 20 years in terms of technology. So I was like, I, you know, the answer, I don't know. But as you said, I didn't say that. What I said was that's like exactly what you did. That's a really interesting question. It's a really good question. I think it's very pertinent for our times. I can't tell you, due to, and I said exactly that, the technology development that we've had, you can only kind of imagine, and it's kind of terrifying for any of us, and I included myself with him, any of us who are kind of pre-digital age and didn't grow up with phones and internets and things like that. So I totally get where you're coming from with that question. So I put myself in his place and kind of, you know, created that uh, rapport with him that I wasn't, you know, going to mock him and I really got where he was coming from and then I kind of sort of said here's what I want you to think about in terms of what it could mean for you and, you know, for for similar people of our generations. A 100 years ago, 150 years ago, trains didn't exist, airplanes didn't exist, helicopters were not a, a thing of, of use or even in, in people's minds I said that's 150 years ago and look at how many industries we have and how many more roles we have as a result of those three industries and, and the development and you know you, I'm sure you could think of more now that I've kind of thrown that out there so if you kind of apply that same concept to technology there's going to be a lot more roles and there's going to actually be roles available there has to be just like new development previously like people thought the railway was going to destroy this and take away that and you know we'd never see this thing again and it didn't it just expanded our horizons and made a whole lot more employment opportunities so I kind of presented you know a a historical case for him to consider and, and put into the future so I didn't answer his question but I certainly gave him a lot to think about. And a Aye. bit of hope for the future. And so I just wanted to kind of, you know, throw that example in there in number six. That's, well, I had no idea about the answer. Of course I wouldn't. And there's no way I could have. But you know what? I kind of content expert. I knew my stuff and I kind of knew my audience. And, you know, they were very, that was actually very rail oriented, which is why I used the rail example of, you know, so many years ago rail didn't exist. So I was able to kind of still give them information without answering the question at all yeah so you know that's that's really important in that you don't have to know everything and you don't have to give them everything and you don't even have to you know have the right answer in order to add value or give them a concept to take away and think about but that bloke I could tell you was probably thinking for ages you know way beyond i would even forgotten i would given him the speech he's probably still thinking about that stuff which is great <laughs>
0: It's fantastic. That's what we want. We want to provoke thought that lasts beyond our presentation days, weeks, months, or even years. And then to finish up with number six, before I move to the last point in answering questions like a pro, uh, assess the question, like take a minute to see if this is a question where If you provide an answer that it would be of interest to the rest of the audience, because sometimes a question can be very personal in nature or very specific Mm. to an individual's yeah, an individual circumstances. And it may be of little to no interest to everybody else. Or it may be a question that is specifically designed to derail or drive you crazy. Yep. You know, that uh, one
1: person know. who's like, I'm having a bad day. I'm going to give it to you now.
0: Yeah. Right. And you can tell those because ask yourself this question is this one first? Is this something that's, you know, just Relevant. not going to. <laughs> have any kind of interest if the audience hears the Mm -hmm. answer. And then the other, you know, route to look at or the other vantage point is, is this question you can tell, is it designed to suggest something counter to what I have presented? Is it designed to possibly refute some content that I've given the yeah. audience? Is it and a deliberate
1: in- challenge to my authority or is it a seeking of information? And yes. it's very clear when you're up on that stage; it's very clear which in what energy is behind that. Yeah.
0: Right. It, exactly. So take a second and kind of take that in and do mm. that analysis and as you're quietly doing that don't worry about the silence they're thinking that you are thinking of the answer or and and the silence I've talked about in other episodes is a power move it is a show mm. of power mm-hmm. and authority when yeah, you're able you're holding that space you own that silence you're the yeah. one who's going to break it yeah There you go. So when you conduct that analysis, they don't have to know that's what you're doing. Do not voice to them, "Uh, everybody, I'm sitting here to decide if I want to do Yes. Because we've seen people do that kind of stuff, Becky. It drives me <laughs> up a wall. I, I agree, but yes, especially especially on Zoom, Becky. Uh, okay, I'm just gonna uh, let's see, share my screen and pull up my my PowerPoint here. But you don't have to talk me through what you're about to do; just do it. So the same thing with an analyzing the question. Just uh-huh. you know, uh, okay, so see yeah. right? Is this about to sabotage my presentation or not? No, just quietly think through it Mm -hmm. and then here's your answer if you know it's meant to derail if you know it's meant to be a sabotage move then the answer is something as simple as that's a great question and the answer can be a bit complicated so in the interest of time see me after after the presentation and let you and I discuss and then check this out Becky you're putting the onus on that person don't say that you want to go to him or her have How definitely.
1: interested actually are they? Absolutely. And honestly, if there's, if there's one answer to practice, that is the answer to practice. Because yes. you can say that to almost 50% of your questions and still look like the authority before you start to, and look, I've just probably made that start up. But, you know, you can say that to a lot of questions and impress your audience that you're thinking of them before you start to lose them and it looks like you're just avoiding questions. You know, if you do it every second or every third one, your audience will still be engaged and actually appreciate. If you do it every one, obviously, they'll be like, maybe they don't know as much as they think. But there will, if you kind of count on the fact that always be at least one question you'll want to give that answer to, because there's always someone who, you know, maybe I call them the sponge you know, they can never get enough information and they just want to take your brain out and kind of squeeze all the knowledge out and then put it in their brain. And they want you to do that in five minutes. And that's what their question's designed for. Like, that's one of the ones you're like, yeah, you need to come and see me after. And then you make sure you have a minder who kind of gets you the heck out of there, you know, in 20 minutes or half an hour because they will literally suck your time.
0: Right, Um, right. Yeah, so it's not just the sanitizer, it's the
1: sponge and those. Yeah, yeah.
0: All of a sudden you have a call you have to take, right? Yes, my agent <laughs> or something. Or <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Okay, then here's <clears throat> number seven, everybody. Move on to the next question. If you're doing a Q&A segment, you're conducting a Q&A part to your presentation, finish your response by physically looking toward another audience member to avoid getting consumed in a dialogue with that one person. Because- you run the risk of losing the entire audience's attention and interest if you allow yourself to get sucked into and monopolized by this one person so you physically you you end you end it with whatever it is see me afterwards or does that answer your Mm. question and then physically turn your body and look somewhere else either look to someone else to grab another question or look to someone else to move on to the next point you were going to make in your presentation
1: (laughs) absolutely or have someone who facilitates that is even better because you're kind of still on a high and you're you know you kind of buzz with given the knowledge and the applause. So, you know, there is a part of you that wants to keep giving and kind of keep going. It's like, oh, if I answer more questions and we get more applause, it's going to be great. You know, you kind of, you do, you kind of have a big adrenaline rush when you kind of get to the end of, of, of a really good presentation. So having someone else facilitate the Q&A as well. Because then they can kind of shut that person down and you're not looking like the the rude one or the, you know, a facilitator is keeping the room to time, whereas you're kind of, you know, depending on the audience and, and, and that sort of stuff and depending on how determined this person is. So always kind of checking in your presentations if there's a room facilitator who can do that. And then they can be like, look, I think that's I think we're just gonna to have to leave that there it sounds like there's a bit more of a conversation between you so you know as, as the speaker is offered you know go and see them after blah blah, blah and kind of shush and move on so right
0: yeah. well, you can you can physically turn to that facilitator and once you finish addressing that person physically turn to the facilitator and say yep. do we have time for one more question or do we need to start yep. wrapping things up right or absolutely and
1: yeah I just yeah yeah, I want to kind of tell your audience your six and seven are probably the most important out of that seven to actually kind of nail because that's how you close out like if you kind of nailed your presentation you're going to nail your Q&A it's the difficult ones or the or the sticky ones or the sponges or you know those kind of personas and you'll get to know them like when I say sticky one you know exactly the kind of person I'm talking about um in the audience so nailing nailing the elegant withdrawal uh close out shutdown is probably more key than being able to answer all the other questions you already as a content expert and an authority on that stage know. you know if there's if there's out of those seven there were there were some rules you were going to focus on it would be the last two.
0: Oh, perfect 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 well becky it has been just so much fun to have you on the show today
1: it's been great i love talking about this stuff and you know being able to share with people and hopefully inspire them to get out there and grab a mic and let themselves be heard is fantastic
0: excellent excellent well thank you becky and thank you to the listeners i so appreciate you for tuning into this episode and every episode until next time i am bridget mcgowan and make sure you always own the microphone